This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Well, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? Yes, I love Christmas. Summer is here. Uni's finished, school's out, work's wrapping up for the year, the cricket is on. We're starting to eat mangoes and cherries and stone fruit and the barbecue's cranking and the cricket is on. We're going to the beach, getting in the water and the cricket is on. We love this time of year, summer in Australia, Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year. Yesterday, I took my three little kids into the city uh, to look at all the beautiful Christmas lights and decorations. We went to Martin Place and saw the big tree in Martin Place, went to the Queen Victoria building and saw the Swarovski huge crystal tree in the Queen Victoria building. We went to Maya. Has anyone been on the rocket ship at Maya? Does everyone know about this? Yeah, so at, at Maya, at Pitt Street, that they've transformed one of their lifts into a rocket ship. So you get in, and there's screens on the walls, and you launch through the atmosphere, and you go up to Santa Land. And you get, it's, it's beautiful. The kids loved it. They're filled with a sense of, of awe and wonder at all the lights and beautiful things of Christmas. One of the things we were most excited for yesterday was going on the new light rail. But we, experienced, we literally experienced light rail fail. We turned up to Queen Victoria. Victoria Building Station and like, no go, no go. We couldn't get on the light rail. Everyone was very disappointed, but everyone enjoyed the Christmas lights because Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, except when it's not. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, except when it's not. For many of us, we experience the darkness of Christmas in a very profound way in this season. Underneath the glitz of Christmas lights and baubles, we have a very real experience of darkness. Now, I'm not just talking about the stress that that we experience as we rush around trying to finish off our Christmas lists and get our presents and try and get a park at Broadway and a full social calendar and... and all of the stress that comes with the season. I'm talking about some really difficult things that we face. You know, we smell the darkness in the air this Christmas with the smoke and are faced with the reality of people losing their homes and their lives and their properties in the bushfires. Many of us experience darkness within, the darkness of disappointment or regret or guilt or shame. As we have family gatherings, we're faced with conflict, brokenness, difficulty. What do we do about the darkness of Christmas? Well, we could be like Scrinch, not like Scrinch, like Scrooge or the Grinch. You could just mash them together. Scrinch, I made a new Christmas character. Anyone want to write, write about that? We could be like Scrooge or the Grinch and just reject Christmas. Bah, humbug. I'm going to spoil everyone else's Christmas. I'm going to cancel Christmas with the cranks because I'm cranky and just going to press into the darkness. Or we could tinsel over the pain in our lives and just kind of pretend it away. There's nothing to see here. We're just going to pretend everything's okay. But neither of those options are good enough. This season of Christmas is an opportunity for us to face our darkness 
and pre prepare ourselves to receive God's light. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning as we look at the darkness and the light of Christmas. We're going to be fa facing our darkness, the darkness that all of us experience, and preparing our hearts to receive God's light. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles or open your devices. Uh, we're not going to have the verses on the screen, so uh, I want you to track along with me. We're going to be looking at that prophecy that Matt read in Isaiah chapter 9 and zeroing in just on a few words in verse 2, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And the prophet Isaiah writes this. He says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Can you say that with me? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Let's say that again. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. This prophecy foretells a time when God will shine his light into the darkness of our world, into the darkness of our lives. And the darkness that Isaiah is writing into is the darkness of exile. God's people, Israel, had been taken away from their home in Jerusalem. Their city had been destroyed. Their temple had been destroyed. They were taken as exiles to live in Babylon. This happened in the, the 6th century BC. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, you might remember King Nebuchadnezzar and the three Hebrews in the, the, the fiery furnace, that same King Nebuchadnezzar, he brought the Babylonian army against the city of Jerusalem, they knocked down the walls, they tore down the temple and they took the people away from their homeland. Now it's difficult to overstate the importance of the land and the temple for God's people Israel. You remember God's promise to Abraham right at the start of the story of Israel that God promised Abraham three things. He said, I'll make you a great nation, I will give you the land of Canaan, and I will bless you to be a blessing. So God's people Israel had always longed to receive this land of Canaan, and then they ended up in Egypt, and then God brought them out of slavery in Egypt through the Exodus to receive the land of Canaan. And right at the center of their land was the temple where God dwelt with his people in Jerusalem. The center of their national life, the center of their identity, the center of their hope was the temple in Jerusalem. It really was their shining light of national symbolism. And at the exile, their shining light was extinguished as the temple walls came crashing to the ground. It's not an exaggeration to say that the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem was their 9-11. We all remember where we were on that fateful day of the 11th of September, 2001. I remember my dad getting me out of bed to turn on the TV and see the towers crumbling to the ground. I was talking to Arnaldo this week and he was in high school in Williamsburg looking out his high school window to see the second plane crash into the towers. And as those towers fell to the ground, it shook our world. We were faced with insecurity and fear and panic and shock and trauma radiating out from lower Manhattan to touch all of our lives and the world was never the same. This same experience happened for ancient Israel as their temple came crashing to the ground. It shook 
their identity, their hope, their security, and they were taken away. It was a traumatic event for them. But as the Bible interprets this event, it doesn't just talk about a political exile of Babylon coming against Jerusalem. The Bible interprets this as a spiritual exile, that this is punishment from God because the people had rejected God as their king. The Bible paints this picture of exile as the predicament of humanity, that we've all rejected God and we now experience life outside of the garden, life in exile, life under the curse of sin. And we continue to experience this darkness in our own lives today. We continue to experience the aftershocks of exile, the symptoms of our cosmic disease. And we might tinsel over it at Christmas time, but the darkness remains within. Where are you experiencing darkness in your life this season? For some of us, we face the ghost of Christmas past at Christmas this year. We're confronted with regrets from the past, guilt and shame, past joys, nostalgia that has long faded. Many of us face the darkness of anxiety and depression or doubt heavy storm clouds that refuse to break. Many of us are experiencing the darkness of disappointment this Christmas time. Unrealized hopes and dreams. You might have been trying for a baby and every month there's no good news. You might have been looking for work and you just can't catch a break. You just keep getting knocked back. Many of us will experience relational pain this year, broken families. Some of you might be living in a domestic violence situation. I was reading an article last night on the Sydney Morning Herald uh, talking about the increase in loneliness at this time of the year. As we see all these happy family things and that yet you're, you're living alone or you're wanting a family and there's this deep darkness of loneliness that many of us experience. For some of us this year, we're facing the first Christmas without that loved one that we've lost this year. And the darkness of grief and loss and pain. For me this year, I've been walking through a season of darkness this second half of the year. My, my nan died in August, and believe it or not, it's the first person in my family to die. And I was with her the week that she passed away in hospital as she deteriorated. Uh, I was in the room when she took her last breath. And on her deathbed, she asked me to take her funeral. And like, how can you say no to your dying grandma? Uh, I didn't want to take the funeral, but I kind of, you know, I had to, and it was an honor, but these last few months, I've just been struggling with the darkness of grief and doubt. You know, faced with the finality of death, going, man, are you even there, God? Darkness has covered my own life. As we face our darkness, it's an opportunity for us to prepare ourselves to receive God's light this Christmas time.
As the people of Israel faced their darkness of exile, it made them long for home. It made them long for the light. They were desperate for God to come and rescue them and bring them home and restore their nation. And it's the same for us. Facing our darkness this Christmas makes us long for the light. Now that's the purpose of this season of Advent, the months leading up to Christmas. It's a season of preparation, preparation of the heart, longing for God to come in the person of his son to shine the light into our darkness. And as we press into that experience of darkness, as we face the darkness, we actually lean into a cosmic ache See, we groan along with all of creation that is groaning for its liberation from bondage to sin. Our bones cry out that there's something wrong with the world. We cry out to God, God, come. What what are you doing? Why is there this darkness? What hope is there? When will the darkness lift? Where are you, God? Come and do something. We wait along with captive Israel in exile for God to come and fulfill his promise to shine his light into the darkness. And the good news of Christmas is that is exactly what God has done. God has been good to his word, he's fulfilled his promise, and he has shined his light into the darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, the prophet says. So what is this great light that the prophet talks about? Well, if you have your Bible open there with me, have a look down to verse 6. Because the focus of this light is a child. In verse 6, read this with me. For to us a child is born, a son is given. And who is this child? Well, the prophet Isaiah focuses on a king who will come to restore the kingdom of God who will sit on David's throne and reign with peace and justice and righteousness. He says of this child, the government will be on his shoulders, in verse 6, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The good news of Christmas and the fulfillment of this prophecy that Isaiah made 600 years before the first Christmas, the good news of Christmas is that a king has been born who will sit on David's throne. And the wise men recognized the king in the manger that first Christmas, bringing kings to bringing gifts to worship the king. Herod, who was no more than a puppet king of Rome, recognized the king in the manger that first Christmas. He recognized him in fear, and he had all the boys in Bethlehem killed because he interpreted this baby being born as a threat to his rule. A new king had been born. And so do you recognize the king in the manger this Christmas time? Because for most of us, we like to keep Jesus in the manger. You might remember that funny scene in Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell's character praying around the dinner table. Dear tiny baby Jesus, with your golden fleece diapers. Dear tiny baby Jesus. 
And his wife pulls him up and he's like, what are you doing? Don't you know that like Jesus grew up, right? And he's like, I like the Christmas Jesus best. Isn't that true? We like little baby Jesus. We like to keep Jesus in the, in the manger because he's not threatening as a baby, but as a king. As a king, he demands our allegiance. He calls us to leave our nets, to leave our old life and to follow him. And that call is threatening to our individualistic society. It's threatening to a secular world that values personal freedom and autonomy, that no one's the boss of me. Who are you to tell me what to do? When Jesus says, leave your nets and follow me, that's a th- we feel threatened by that. And so why would you bow the knee to King Jesus if He demands that you leave your old life. If he demands that you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Because you know that following Jesus isn't just a life enhancement option. Following Jesus isn't like a new diet or a gym membership or a new pair of sneakers that you think, oh man, I'm going to look really cool in these. And it's not just a little part of your life that's going to help you get a little bit better. Jesus demands an all-of-life exclusive commitment to leave our old way of life to follow him. So why would anyone do that? Why would anyone bow the knee to Jesus when he demands everything? Well, the reason is because he is our light in the darkness. This king in the manger breaks the power of darkness and brings the light of life. This king in the manger is our Aslan who breaks the witch's spell that has all of Narnia in winter. You remember in Narnia, right? In the Chronicles of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, all of Narnia lives under the the spell, the curse of the wicked witch who calls herself the queen of Narnia. And it's always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, never Christmas. And then when Aslan, the true king of Narnia, comes in, he breaks the witch's spell and the snow begins to melt. Aslan comes and brings spring and new life to Narnia. And when the true king of the world comes into our, into our world, he breaks the power of darkness. He shines his light in and brings new life. The snow begins to melt. Spring is here. You see, Jesus is king, is good news for our world. He's the king that we want. He's the king that we need. He comes as the prince of peace to bring light into the darkness, to make all things new, to loose the chains of injustice, to heal the sick, to forgive sinners, to overcome death and darkness, and to bring light and life to all mankind. He is the king that we need. And in the manger this Christmas time, we see the face of the king. But this king is no mere human baby. He's not just a better human king. The claim of the Bible is that this is Emmanuel. That in the manger, we see the face of God. This is God with us. The prophet Isaiah says, He shall be called Mighty God. 
This is the creator and sustainer of all the world, the one who is holy, holy, holy. How can we possibly come near to the one that dwells in unapproachable light? If he was to come in all of his power and glory and might, we couldn't receive him. He'd obliterate us. He's too pure, too perfect, too holy, too good. But the good news of Christmas is that God comes to us in a way that we can receive him. He lowers himself. He condescends himself. He lowers himself even to the point of being born in a manger. See, he leaves his throne in heaven. He leaves the riches of his kingdom and he's born into poverty. Can you get your head around that? That the king of the world, the creator of the universe, is born into poverty. That there wasn't even any room in the inn. He wasn't born in a castle. He wasn't born in a hospital. He wasn't born in a home. He was born in an animal shed and laid in a feeding trough. That first Christmas, they covered him with dirty rags. The God who made us came and wore a pooey nappy. He made himself weak and vulnerable. He couldn't even feed himself. He was dependent on his mother to feed him. You see, the manger reveals the incarnational heart of God to us. That God loves us so much that he refuses to leave us in the dark. God loves us so much that he refuses to leave us in exile. Moved by love, moved by compassion, God leaves his throne in heaven, leaves the riches of his kingdom, plunges himself into our darkness, is born into poverty. In, in other words, he goes behind enemy lines and faces death and darkness face to face to emerge victorious and to raise us up with him into new life. See, the story of the manger is that Jesus comes to experience our exile so that he might bring us home to God. The one who shone light into the darkness at the beginning of time has now shone his light into the world through the manger. As we look in the manger, we see the face of God. And this Christmas time, as we face our own darkness, God wants to shine his light into our lives again. So where are you experiencing darkness in your life at the moment? Do you have the courage to face your darkness? It's painful. The things that you have done, the things that have been done to you, to face that, that's painful. God made himself weak. God made himself vulnerable. God entered into our darkness so that he could come to you, so that you could receive his life and his light. Will you open yourself to him this Christmas to receive his light in your darkness? Because when you do, when you receive God's light of life, it totally changes everything for you. God wants us to receive healing and forgiveness, liberation and new life. And when we receive that, when we receive his light, it begins to radiate out from us 
to others. When we receive God's light, it begins to radiate out from us to others. And I think there's no better example of this than the Christmas character Ebenezer Scrooge from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And as Dickens describes Scrooge in in his novel uh, A Christmas Carol, it's some beautiful prose that I wanted to share with you because it's it's an incredible description. He describes Scrooge like this. Scrooge was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Scrooge is stuck in his darkness. He's hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Listen to this. The cold within him froze his old features. It nipped at his nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill. Scrooge is a man who is stuck in his darkness. He's a cold-hearted, miserable old man, shackled by greed, hardened by the disappointments of life. What he thinks about Christmas, this is what he thinks about Christmas. If I could work my will, he says, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Scrooge is stuck in the darkness and his heart is closed to the light. And yet through the story of a Christmas carol, the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future visit him and confront him with his sin. They confront him with his darkness. He's forced to face it and he receives an incredible transformation. By the end of the story, Scrooge is a new man. Having received the light, it then begins to radiate out in love to others. By the end of the story, Scrooge is a joyful, generous, kind man, giving to the poor, helping the sick. At the end of the story, he says, I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. A Merry Christmas to everybody. Having received the light of Christmas, Scrooge is transformed. And the light of Christmas begins to radiate out of his life to others. And how much more so for us, having received the true light of Christmas in our darkness, that it then begins to radiate out to us. So receiving God's light at Christmas time into our darkness changes everything for us, changes how we live. As people that are now in the light, we can no longer walk in the darkness. We begin to walk in the light. It changes our moral and ethical life. But it begins to radiate out to others in the way that we love. As a church family, there are people here this morning that are walking in darkness, that are experiencing incredible pain and difficulty. That might be you. And as a church family, as we receive God's light, it's an opportunity for us to share that with one another, to carry each other's burdens, to love one another in prayer and practice. But on an even bigger scale, this is an opportunity this Christmas for God's light to radiate out to our city. God has set his church as a city on a hill so that he might shine his light into the darkness of our city so that people might see God in us. See, it's not just in the manger that we see the face of God now, 
we see the face of God through his church as we shine his light into the darkness of our city. And this Christmas time, what better opportunity is there than at Christmas time when our city is so open to the story of the manger? This Christmas time, God wants to radiate his light out from your life to your neighbours, to your friends, to your family, to your workplace as you share that love with them in word and deed. As this Christmas, God invites each of us to face our darkness, to receive his light and to radiate it out to others. Christmas truly is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? It's an opportunity for us to do that, to receive God's light afresh into our darkness, to be changed by it and to share it with others. So let me pray for us and we'll respond to this word in worship. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our light in the darkness. We confess that there are some painful things that each of us are facing. And we ask that you would give us the courage not to tinsel over it this Christmas time, but to face it, that you might give us a willingness to open ourselves to your light and that it might change us. This Christmas, we ask that you would shine your light through us, that our city might know your love, that our city might look in the manger and see your face, that your light would come into the darkness afresh this Christmas and bring the light of life. We ask this in Jesus' name.